Good evening. Good evening. It's good to be here. The numbers have grown since I last turned around, which is uh, encouraging. It's quite a hard act to follow, isn't it, following the bishop in the morning. Um, but I will do my best. And if my brain appears slow, it's because I'm trying to process what I've just heard. So I will try and speak to you, Ben, and maybe build on what Andrew's just sung. So bear with me, but we'll see how we, uh, how we get on. So I guess we are, what, two nights away? The 365-day countdown is almost complete and starts again on Wednesday. Is there anyone who's been counting down all year? I know there's at least one. I can see Michael. Any other take? One over there, was there? No? I think in our staff team we have a disproportionate number because I think we've probably got Joe Foster as well. You know, Christmas is an exciting time, isn't it? Maybe perhaps you've been counting down uh, the Advent season, slightly smaller. Whatever the weight, you know, I think there's a sense, isn't there, that actually God calls us to wait well. You know, waiting is a part of the Bible kind of narrative, and it's a part of life. And actually, I think it's the reason that we have anticipation. It's the reason we have a build-up of excitement. You know, it's the reason my kids won't sleep tomorrow night. You know, it's the reason why when I go to the cinema and I'm about to see the new kind of Star Wars or James Bond release, it's the reason that I get excited. It's that sense of the waiting coming, if you like, to fruition. So that's what we're thinking about tonight. And I think if we're going to think about how to celebrate Christmas well, a bit like what you said, Ben, we have to kind of wrestle with actually what is Christmas. You know, what is the meaning behind some of these words that we sing? You know, what is the wonder of this person, Jesus? And I think, yeah, I think that's what we're going to try to do. So let's, let me pray. I know Lucy's prayed, but let me just press in a bit further. Lord God, I just pray, would you just hold together all of our thoughts the things that we're wrestling with. Yeah, the pain, the hurts, the struggles, the sense of joy, the sense of anticipation. And Lord, as you are present with us right now, may you perhaps just solidify some of those things. Lord, if you are already speaking to us, may you just speak in an even more affirming way. And Lord, may you give me the words to really just kind of bring to life all that you have done for us in the person of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. First thing is something for you to do. Why don't you turn to your neighbour, two words, what is Christmas? What is Christmas? You have two words. Tell the person next to you. I think that's more than two words. It's hard, isn't it? Well, I mean, Lucy, have you been here the last the last few weeks. Lucy and Hannah have been sharing some thoughts, I think, on what they think Christmas is. And Bishop Joe does again this morning. And I'd probably sum it up as probably, it's the moment where, you know, God reveals his love in the person of Jesus. It's the moment when God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the moment when God's word that was there in the very beginning, you know, speaking life into existence, 
came into this world in flesh, in human form, in the person of Jesus. Just as God, through the word, spoke light into being, he sent his son, as Lucy said, to be the light of the world, you know, to to reveal to us a new way, a new possibility, to help us understand what it means to be born anew, you know, to understand what life in its fullness is all about. That's what I think Christmas is about. You know, God is love. When he sent his son into the world, it was the greatest act of love. And Jesus, begotten of the Father, of one with God, is the embodiment of love. Right at the heart of Christmas is this sense of love. And what the Bishop Joe shared this morning was it's all about God, Emmanuel. God with us. It's not a far off love. It's not something that we can't touch or see. It's about someone God's son, Jesus, stepping into this world to be with us, not do something for us. His love is with us. His presence is with us so that we can be more than we could be without him, so that we can be all that he intends us to be. You know, wrapped up in this story of Christmas is a huge amount of possibility and complexity that we have to kind of wrestle with. So, if we were to hold this gift, this good news of Christmas, I want to ask you the question, you know, what kind of post-person are you? you know, do you carry that news well? How well do you share that good news? Let me explain what I mean. I'm going to try and do this. No, I think I'm okay, I've just got to Tell my brain what I'm doing. Right, I've got some, um, some blackcurrant squash there. Okay, I want you to imagine that squash is God's love. Okay, it is strong, it is concentrated. I will sip it. Yeah, it's, it's strong. Okay, it is, you know, God's love is immeasurable. But I think what can easily happen at Christmas, we don't realise we're doing it, but lots of stuff happens. You know, God's love can be no less but we suddenly get maybe the Christmas parties, we get the secret Santas, perhaps we have you know, the politics of family kind of get-togethers to think about. Maybe we have the Christmas cold. You know, perhaps there's the, I don't know, I'm looking around to get inspiration here. Maybe it's the office party, maybe some of you work really hard and you work Christmas Eve and the deadlines are so great and the stress is so great. Maybe there's some pain and there's some hurt that just makes Christmas a really hard time. I think what we can do without realizing it is that we can dilute our experience of God's love. We can't reduce his love, but we can dilute our experience of it and become less aware of it. And in doing so, we become less less effective carriers of God's love. Are they? And we can spill it everywhere. But no, I think the message there is we just have to be aware of it, don't we? We have to try and consciously hold on to the good gift of God's love. You know, the theologian George Michael once said, 
You know, last Christmas, I gave you my heart. The very next day, you gave it away. You know, we don't want to be people that kind of, you know, turn up at the nativity play, that, that are present in the carol services and leave it there. You know, we have a great gift to give and we have to take it with us. You know, we have to hold on. You know, it's that message of love. You know, Christmas is a time of giving and we want to be people that give well. You know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but often when we have birthdays and Christmases, my wife Lucy um, does more than a fair share of the shopping and the wrapping. And often the gifts are given, and I have no idea what has been given until the receiver thanks me for it and uh, has to explain to me what I've just given that person. You know, it's, it's pathetic, isn't it? And it's, it's not how we are called to give the good news of Jesus. We have to know the gift we are giving, don't we? Okay. Did anyone watch The Apprentice Final last week? Yeah, there's at least, I can see a few who are brave enough to admit it. Well, I, uh, I equally invested an hour of my lifetime watching that. And um, there was some good in it. And uh, whatever we think of it, I have to say that the finalists, uh, Sean and Camilla, they knew their product. They were having to kind of sell their ideas to Alan Sugar. And they were passionate about it. And they were actually quite compelling, whatever we thought of the products. And because of that, people bought into it. And they wanted to be a part of it. And by the end of the show, I, you know, I'm not a nut milk fan, but I wanted to taste Sean's chocolate orange nut milk. You know, she knew how to sell. She knew how to give away her product. You know, in order to give, we have to know what we are giving. So let me unpack that a little. We're going to finally get into God's word. So we're going to turn to a story in uh, Luke chapter 4. And what I want us to do is to step out of the story or the nativity story for a moment to allow us to hopefully step back in more attentively. So if we turn to Luke chapter 4, we're going to start reading from verse 16. We're going to pause at verse 21 and we'll come back into the story a bit later so you can keep it open. So reading from verse 16. Now Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has proclaimed me, to, so, so, sorry, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to tell them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you heard it being read. So, the story took place in the village of Nazareth. Some 2,000 years ago, you know, God chose to send his son to a far-off place over 2,000 years ago 
in the form of a baby, helpless and vulnerable. And he entrusted, it, he entrusted his son to Mary and Joseph. And Jesus grew up kind of plying his trade as a carpenter. And he would have lightly served many who lived in the village. And as was the custom at that time, growing up as a young, a young sort of teenager and then a young man, he spent his evenings discussing scripture with his friends, learning the way of the rabbi. And consequently, he got a good reputation. And because of that, the synagogue and worship leaders invited him to come and read some scripture in the synagogue and to share some thoughts on it. And that's where we find him in this story. You know, and the scripture is handed to him. And we don't know quite if he was given Isaiah 61 or if he chose it, but that's where he decided to read from. So if you want to, I'd encourage you maybe to open uh, your Bible to Isaiah 61 as we just look at what was said. So it would have been a familiar text to those in the synagogue that day. You know, the Nazarene Jews would have loved the story of how it tells of God being a comforter to his people Israel, of how he was going to bring vengeance against the Gentiles, of how he was going to restore them from their place of ruin. So El had been eagerly waiting to hear this story retold. But Jesus, who I've just said, was schooled in the way of doing this, decides to break the code. He decides to do something quite radical. And he starts being selective with the text. First, a line is admitted from Isaiah 61. And then he adds in a verse from Isaiah 58.6 about freeing the oppressed. And then when he gets to the the bit about the year of the Lord's favour, that's actually mid-verse. He stops reading from Isaiah 61. He leaves out altogether the bit about God bringing vengeance against the Gentiles. And he leaves out the complete rest of the chapter about how God is going to comfort his people and return them from their place of ruin. And in doing so, Jesus basically turns a passage that was meant to be about vengeance into a passage about mercy. It was a radical and bold thing to do. And right at the end, if reading the, the bit from Scripture, he says, Today, the Scripture has been fulfilled. Basically, through me is what he's saying. Yeah, can you imagine? What a thing to say. It's a bit like a St. Saviour's reader getting up here and then completely distorting the reading. You can imagine the shock and the surprise. You know, Jesus in, in verse 18, basically in reference to his baptism, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. What a proclamation. He then effectively declares that he is the anointed one, which means that he is saying he is the Messiah, the one that these people gathered here today and all the Jews in the land have been waiting for. But their, their perception of the Messiah was someone who was going to come, almost like a mighty king like David, yeah, and return Israel to its former glory, wipe out the Romans. Yet here was Jesus, effectively professing to be their future promise, to be the Messiah. And then he says, you know, I have been sent to bring good news to the poor. And because of my relationship with my father, with God, I now know that this is the year of the Lord's favour. Huge proclamations. And then tucked right in between it, we get the compassion sandwich. You know, Jesus says that he 
is going to be the one to release the captives, to heal the sick, to heal the blind. You know, in that box of Quality Street, Jesus is basically saying, I am the strawberry cream. You know, I am the one with the soft, sweet center, you know, full of love and compassion. This is bold, radical stuff. You know, we just read, he had everyone's attention. Their eyes were fixed upon him. There was a sense of anticipation about what on earth is going to come next. And Jesus did not disappoint. So we can pick up again. We're now in verse 22 in Luke chapter 4. All were speaking well of him and were amazed at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that you have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, they forced him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. But Jesus passed through the crowd and went on his way. Isn't this Joseph's son? the one we watched grow up. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He's but a carpenter. We have known him since he was this high. How dare he come in here and say that he is our Messiah? Who does he think he is? You know, that day in the synagogue, the Nazarene Jews could not see past what they knew. They could not accept Jesus for what he professed to be. In many ways, it's a similar problem, isn't it, to what we have today. People cannot recognize Jesus for what we know him to be. Jesus then did something quite interesting. He knew what was going on in the room. He knew what was stirring. He knew what was on their hearts. You know, as we've just said, you know, he, he inferred he performed some miracles in Capernaum. You know, he effectively said that I am God's prophet, soon to be rejected. He was aware that he was going to be kicked out. He then decides to throw some fuel on the fire by referring to some somewhat random stories. But they were well known by those in that room. And they were well known to Jesus and they were not random. You know, he decides to refer to a widow, a female from Zarephath. You know, in so doing, he was effectively saying that God loves those that are not Jewish as well. And by the way, he loves women too. And then he goes on to refer to 
It's a Naaman. Again, not a Jew. And he says during that time, not one leper from Israel was healed. Yet God decided to heal a Syrian. This was insensory stuff. You know, those in the synagogue that day, they believed they knew God for who he was. They believed he was a God who loved them more than anyone else. And they believed he was a God who was going to bring vengeance on the Gentiles. Yet Jesus was revealing something afresh. He was showing God to be a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God whose love extends for the whole world, like what Andreas sung, a God who wants each one of us to know how deep his love is for us. His heart is overwhelming for us. It was overwhelming for that widow in Zarephath. God's heart is for all of humanity, for everyone. Mike Pilavachi posted this week that Jesus came as a baby, not with an agenda of control, not as a king riding on a mighty chariot, but as a baby, one of us, helpless, defenseless. He came to show that he had not abandoned the world. Just like he rescued the Egyptians, sorry, just like he rescued the Israelites out of Egypt. He had come to rescue his people once more, but just in a different way to what those in the synagogue imagined that day. You know, he'd come to be with his people once more. We have a God who loves to dwell with his people. He dwells with us right now. And he wants to dwell with us this Christmas. He longs to dwell with those who don't know him. Through his spirit, he longs to be at our, our dinner table this Christmas, around the Christmas tree, on the commute as we go back to work in January. God Emmanuel, God with us. Away from Nazareth, those who encountered Jesus could not deny that there was something amazing, something unique about this person. And once those first witnesses, once those first Christians managed to get their head around it, managed to comprehend what the Nazarene Jews could not, they realized that the world could never be the same again. They realized that they had encountered God's Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Why else would the first disciples ditch all they had to follow this man Jesus? When he died, why else would people sing songs of worship to him? Why else would people pray in the power of his name? Why else would so many basically lay down their lives just so that we in 2018 can retell the story with one another? 
They thought they had something so amazing that they were willing to sacrifice everything so that we can know of God's love for us. A transformational God, a love that sets us free, Ben. It sets us free from all that we know so that we can't see life the same. We are called to notice what's around us, to be attentive to what we see, to be responsive. I'm guilty of not being responsive this last week. The need is all around us. The need is here, the need is there. I'm gonna step away from this. Jesus wants to do something of freshness at all. He wants us to know a love that we cannot imagine. A love that hurts, a love that makes grown men cry. A love that enables Andrea to sing a song that I imagine is well out of your comfort zone. That's what it's about. That's what, you know, being born again is about. It's about seeing life differently. It's about not getting caught up, you know, in the, in the trivia of presence. It's about sharing joy, real joy, transformational joy. Not necessarily with answers, as Bishop Joe shared this morning. It's about being with people in their place of need. It's about daring to share with people who might not realize they're in need. That's what Christmas is about. 